from AM and FM stations around the country. Welcome to the Small Business Administration award-winning School for Startups Radio, where we talk all things small business and entrepreneurship. Now, here is your host, the guy that believes anyone can be a successful entrepreneur because entrepreneurship is not about creativity, risk, or passion, Jim Beach. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting edition of School for Startups Radio. It is Thursday, the 17th of August, and we have yet another amazing show. It's just an endless supply of great entrepreneurs and their stories. Today, we have Nicole Montoya. She is the founder of Cheddar Up. It is an app for collecting money from your soccer team, for example, and everyone's going to contribute money to buy a cake. Everyone needs to send in five bucks. And the app allows that to happen. Plus, it's grown to do all sorts of other things. Nicole will tell us the story, how she got the idea, the entire thing. It's a really great app service out there. And then after that, Barry Cohen will be with us. He has been a longtime supporter of the show, is one of the publicists that I work with on a regular basis. And he has just written a book on 10 ways to get sued. You may remember a couple of, maybe a week ago, His co-author, Mitch Beinhacker, was on the show, and we had a great conversation. And today, I'm excited to speak with Barry and learn more about the book. And it's interesting. Barry is a great example of sort of what I want to talk about here for just a second. Yesterday, I was bragging about how we continue to get endless supply of great guests. And we do have amazing guests coming up today. Nicole is an example, founder of cheddar up. And I was just bragging about how I've already seen the schedule for the next week or so. And I know what's coming up and it's amazing as always. And I was bragging about it. I got three emails all asking the exact same question, all from either podcasters or people in the podcast industry. And they pointed out that I produce more content than just about anyone. We have more guests than just about anyone We've been doing this longer, 11 years, consistently longer than almost any other show in the space. And they asked simply, how do we continue to get an endless supply? What is the system? Because their system, and two of the people pointed this out to me and shared their system, is approaching guests, finding if they would be interested, asking them to be on the show, and then doing the show that way. And As I said, Barry is a great example. I reached out to Barry or he reached out to me. I don't know, years ago, 10 years ago, seven years ago. I don't know, a long time ago. And he is a publicist, has his own media company and has been sending me guests regularly for years. And so here's the tip and here's the answer to the question. Years ago, when I started doing the show, I didn't ask people to be on the show I did some, but mostly what I did was go out and introduce myself to people like Barry, to publicists, to people in the space who could bring me lots of guests and made friends with them and then invited them to send me guests regularly. Now I only court 
them. And so if you are a podcast production company of some kind, I want to know you so that you can send me guests. Instead of courting the guests, I court the, the, uh, the supply that they bring in other words. And it's a great example of using alternative methods to accomplish your goal. I'm thinking in particular of a guest that's coming up next week, Lloyd Lobo. He was building an incredible AI company that was in the government uh, space, helping government subsidies and people get government contracts, that kind of thing, using AI there. And they weren't getting much headway. So they changed tactics. And instead of trying to sell that service, they instead gave free events in Vancouver, trying to promote their business and themselves. And the events were free and people would come in and network and they'd have a great speaker. And from those events, they eventually started getting business for their main product. These auxiliary tricks are great. Anyway, got a great show for you. Thanks for being with us. We'll get started in just a second with Nicole and Cheddar Up. For Startups Radio hopes you will reach out to us if you have any questions or comments or if you need help with your business at any stage, from concepts to exit. Jim accepts all connections on LinkedIn. He tweets from at Entrepreneur Jim and he responds to emails at james.beach at att.net. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy the show. We are back in again. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm very excited to introduce another great story. Please welcome Nicole Montoya to the show. She is the founder and CEO of Cheddar Up. It is an online payment app that allows a big group of people to pay for something. She has 20 years experience in building businesses and has donated lots of time to uh, organizations to help grow their businesses as well. Nicole, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Uh, thank you. I'm doing great. I'm really happy to be here. Appreciate it. So like the Rotary Club, everyone needs to give a hundred bucks or a class trip is being organized in the eighth grade. Am I getting it right? Explain. Show. You are. Yeah, yeah. Those are excellent examples. I'm impressed. Um, it's We help groups and organizations, oftentimes nonprofits, but it can be any group or organization, easily collect payments and information. So that is, those are the examples that you just said. It could be a booster club, a sports team, Girl Scout troop, uh, PTA, an HOA, any group that's collecting payments we find is usually needing to collect payments and information. And when I say information, I mean like a form or a waiver or sign up, um, sort of collecting those things in tandem. And that's what we help them to do. Our platform is uh, super easy and super flexible for, for these types of users. I used to run summer camps for a living. Is okay. that a, a niche that you're in? Do you, that, that sounds perfect because they collect data on each kid. Payments. Yep. What about that market? 
Yeah, that's a, that is a market. We help with a lot of camps. Actually, we have partnerships with a lot of big Girl Scout councils around the country. And a lot of those councils and service units use us for exactly that, for camps, for registrations, um, all kinds of events where people use us for events now. Um, we're launching a, an even more robust ticketing feature in, in a few weeks so that they can have QR codes and check-ins. And um, and we're doing that just because users are like, hey, we want we want a little bit more functionality there. But yeah, summer camps are, are perfect. You know, after-school enrichment programs, sort of a similar thing. Spirit wear, um, those are all kind of different things, but the platform is nimble enough to, to kind of make it what you need it to be. Health forms and stuff like that. Is that the type data I can collect? Yep. Health forms, waivers. You might just need to know a t-shirt size, chicken or beef. We've got a lot of different question types, file uploads, uh, waivers, signups. Signups are a funny thing. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with a signup form, but that's a thing that, that these kind of organizations and nonprofits um, need all the time to just like get people to sign up to you know, work the check-in table in the morning or bring the snacks. Um, that type of form is something we do too. Sure. I have kids on the swim team and you're required to do a certain amount of <laughs> swim team stuff. Exactly. That is, yeah. Swim teams need signups, robust signups. So, yep, that, we could fit the bill for that as well. All right, Nicole, brilliant idea. Love it. Go back in time and tell us the entrepreneurial history. How'd you get the idea and what'd you do first? Yeah, absolutely. So I was working for a fintech company, consulting for them. My background is management consulting. Um, so I happened to be working for a fintech company. So I had fintech on my brain. This was almost 10 years ago. So fintech was different then, less developed. Um, and I, I also had two young girls in elementary school. So I found myself writing a lot of checks, filling out a lot of forms, driving them across town, a lot of paper. And I just, I was slowing me down as a working parent. And I just thought, this is, this is really silly. The world needs sort of a, you know, an Evite-like tool that's really payment forward. That's what I felt like was missing. I couldn't find it. Um, at the same time, I would, I was recognizing that I would never raise my hand uh, to, you know, to be the person in charge of collecting money from a lot of people for a variety of reasons. So it's kind of those two ahas combined that I was like, hey, this needs to be solved. Um, you know, like a lot of time, the first time entrepreneurs, I was a little naive, like I can do this. I can, I can build a team. I can, you know, solve this problem. Um, and, you know, we have, we've done just that. Um, but it's taken, you know, it always takes a little bit more time and effort than, than you think, but I'm a non-technical founder. So a big, you know, one of the bigger challenges in the early age, early stages of our company was, you know, finding tech talent that, that was a good fit. That was, had the right skill set. certainly some trial and error, on that regard. Um, but that was kind of the aha moment for me, if that's what you're thinking or curious about. That is perfect. Great, great answer. And so when did you, you know, tell the spouse and start, <laughs> what did you do like very first? Well, my husband is an entrepreneur too. So we're, we're kind of an entrepreneurial family. So I told him about it, told my spouse about it since you asked right away. And he sort of was uh, you know, that's in my always corner, one of my like, last steps. Just to oh, let that's you know. so funny. Well, no, it was an early step. You know what was the last step for me was telling was telling a lot of my friends. Like I just sort of, I kind, I did kind of keep it on under wraps for for quite a while. I, I don't know the psychology of that, but as I ponder it now, um, oh, it's very interesting. 
I know. Right. I, I think it probably at first was like, I want to make sure that I'm far enough down the path that like, you know, this is happening. It's removing um, risk. I, you know, if you fail, they don't know. And so it's I, a risk removal strategy, uh, whether it's right. conscious or not. Yeah. And I also didn't want anyone to talk me out of it. You know, I didn't want any naysayers. I needed to kind of keep, keep moving forward with sort of the energy I had behind it, it, it but it's definitely, you know, risk mitigation too. Anyway. So they were probably the last folks I told. And that, I remember that being kind of a milestone, like, okay, everyone knows let's keep, <laughs> let's keep going. Um, that could have been a lot of fun. You could have been you could have played it off like, what? You don't know about my business? What do you mean? You don't even, you're not a good friend of mine. You, you haven't been following along. I've been talking about it nonstop. You know, it's funny though. One thing I learned early on related to friends was there were some friends who were like super supportive and like high-fiving me all the way. And then there were some friends who, who I could tell they thought I was absolutely insane. Um, and I, I really did have to kind of weed out some friends. <laughs> like, like it's like it's sort of sort of sort of a shame to say, but were I was they like, okay, thinking you were insane or just jealous of you. Well, I don't know. You never know, right? Could, like a frenemy could have been a frenemy kind of thing. Um, but I, they were somehow making me feel bad and kind of guilty. Like, what are you thinking? You know, I'll, you know, the mom scene is there's all kinds of, of that going on. Um, but. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I just remember pondering that a couple of years later being like, oh yeah, I'm not really friends with that person anymore. I guess I sort of subconsciously, um, distanced myself from, from that person anyway. All right. So you tell, uh, baby daddy, husband, and <laughs> then what hire some tech. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, a question we get a lot is like, why Cheddar Up? What does Cheddar Up mean? What's behind the name? I, I remember that being a thing for a long time. Um, just, you know, figuring out what to call it, you know, the finding a, a name that you can trademark and get the URL for is a challenge. I remember that being sort of one of the, one of the early steps. Um, but yeah, we, so then I, I remember stalking people on LinkedIn, trying to find some, um, some engineers who could help me bring this thing to life. One of my strategies then was, I think I was, I was focused on a really like high quality development shop. And I was trying to find people that worked for that shop and looking for people who would moonlight for me. I mean, this was early, early days, um, but found, ended up finding some talent. They contract worked for a while. We moved a little bit further along, we talked them, talked them into kind of moving over full time. That was, you know, part of the journey. And eventually, you know, raising capital, we had to raise capital for, a tech company of, of this nature. We didn't raise a ton, but that, that was, you know, a multi-year journey just trying to. Was that before you, know, you even launched or post launch? That was post launch. Like we had a minimum viable product before we raised capital. And then, yeah, before we raised any capital, we had, we had something built and in use by organizations. Um, and I self-funded that uh, for a while, which was, you know, Again, thank goodness I have a husband who is an entrepreneur and can kind of see the vision, could see the vision with me. Um, so he felt comfortable, you know, with a, we both felt comfortable kind of, you know, laying. Telling some, one of the children. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Well, you know how easy something they like are that. to make when you have two or three. So <laughs> right. you know, it's easier to sell one. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So, so yeah, it was like sort of, you know, putting in some some capital 
building out the team. I have a co-founder, um, Molly. I pulled her in early on. She is a uh, very talented. Why did I pull her in? Yeah. Um, good question. So oh, that's a good question. Uh, I pulled her in because I just love working with her. We have worked on, we did some work on some clients, um, in the past and I'm sort of an aesthetic person in that, like the design and the brand of, of this, you know, somewhat consumer oriented product seemed really important. Um, and she's a brilliant designer. And so I thought, Hey, she's, this is important. I would love to work with her. And she understood the problem. She struggled with the same issue. So I didn't even think about it that hard. I was just like, Molly, let's Molly's let's see if Molly, if I can talk her into doing this. Um, and the rest is history. So she's been along, you know, right by my side every step of the way. So, um, yeah. And is she an equal partner putting in the same amount of money that you did and such? Um, not necessarily. Uh, we didn't, we didn't look at it. We didn't focus on that stuff too much. Um, but, but yeah, she's been there every step of the way and she's been core to building the brand and, and building the product. And when you finally were able to hire someone for tech, how long did it take them to get the first workable site up for you? Oh gosh. Let me think about that. Um, oh, I hired the wrong person initially. So regroup, retool, new person. Um, probably honestly six months, which is too long, but we didn't really know what we were doing, you know? Right. And then how did you start spreading the word? Oh, you know, that's probably been one of, one of the biggest learning curves and journeys for Cheddar Up. I mean, we're focused on a demographic that is niche and hard to acquire. It's part of the reason that there, there was this gap in the market because it's, it's a hard market to scoop up. And usually the people in this demographic are using tools that aren't really the right fit tool for them. Um, or that's what we find, or we, we have people finding us moving from a tool that's not quite right fit for them. So just figuring out how to find that user, right? We used to think that Facebook was the place to scoop them up. That would make sense. It should make sense. It's not really as a, a channel that, that does that well for us. Um, but just a lot of trial and error. And in this demographic, we find that a lot of grassroots stuff, you know, as, as sort of painstaking as it can sometimes be, <laughs> works really well. And if you keep showing up as we have, um, we've sort of earned a brand for ourselves um, amongst the, you know, the, you know, keep going to the PTA events, keep going, you know, keep partnering with big girl scout councils, like just keep showing up, you know, putting flyers and state PTA conventions, um, you know, working with the national booster club association, like things like that, that are, you know, not super obvious. Um, we do a lot on, you know, digital ads and that kind of thing that works really well for us now, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't a slam dunk at all, you know, when we first started and we were trying to figure out how to grow. And honestly, in the early age, early stages of Cheddar Up, we were tapping, um, you know, elementary schools that were, that were here in Denver where we're, where we're based and just like, Hey, we've, we built this thing. You've got this big, you know, event coming up, try it out. And, and, and that really was instrumental in the early, early stages. Yeah, that makes sense. It seems like that would be a very hard marketplace to go after. Uh, you know, it's kind of scattered all over the place. Your ultimate market. Yeah, it is actually. And 
and but it's just getting easier and easier. It's Cheddar Up is kind of a flywheel like that. If you think about a, a platform that does a lot of group payments, right? There is a ton of word of mouth, which is awesome and not awesome. It's awesome in that if we did no marketing, we would grow like at least 20% every year because the, or the people who pay, then they go and they become a collector or they refer it to someone else. So that's amazing. Um, it's the only not amazing part about it is that you have less control over it. Um, but so as you get to a certain size, my point is it, it does kind of become a flywheel and that, that is great. And we're experiencing that now. Um, and it's a lot of fun. I'll also say that COVID, you know, while it was, while we were obviously very concerned when COVID came about for so many reasons, but in part because we're a group payment platform focused on groups during a time when groups couldn't gather, um, we were worried and it, but it, you know, all things considered, uh, that it really has powered our growth a lot in the last few years um, because a lot of people who were hesitant to move online, a lot of groups and organizations who were just slow to move, didn't see any reason to, you know, move off of paper or spreadsheets. Um, it just really catapulted the need for, for those types of organizations to, to get, go online as it come, as it relates to payments. And once you have a customer, they're stuck with you forever, right? I mean, <laughs> I would think that switching would be, just a huge pain in the butt and you would have to be really dissatisfied to switch. And so yeah, we I think are once you have really, a customer, you got them forever. It's pretty much true. Yeah. We're, we're really sticky and we, we've got a lot of features that make, you know, the tool really easy for the next volunteer to take over as, as someone transitions, hands the reins over to someone new. We've gotten really good at making that simple so that, so that that stickiness just continues. Right. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And then what's your vision for it, Nicole? What do you hope happens to both the company and your involvement in it? You know, I, I love what I do. I feel really lucky to be able to, to grow our team and do, you know, provide this service for nonprofits and organizations. We were just at an event, a couple events recently in July, um, big Texas PTA event, big national Girl Scout convention and just had the opportunity to hear their feedback. And it was, it's just, it's great. It's heartwarming. Um, people rely on us. That's, that's amazing. And so I hope to be involved for a long time. Um, you know, but I do, I do foresee, um, you know, we do get a lot of inbound inquiries, people, you know, private equity funds, other strategics, finding, you know, the, our ability to build out this market and provide this service is kind of interesting. So I could see there being a, a, a positive outcome for us um, at some point in the future. I don't, I don't really have a good sense of the timing on that, but um, I do hope to, to stay involved for, for some time. And this year, um, 2023 for Cheddar Up is just a big year of building. We're adding a lot of big new features. Um, in the spring, we, we, you know, we launched that sign up feature that I mentioned earlier when we were talking about swim teams. Um, we're about to launch ticketing, which I mentioned earlier, and, and a couple other things before the end of the year. And the next year, we're really focused on, you know, kind of expanding our partnerships, adding a couple new revenue streams. So we're constantly innovating. Like, there are, we're never shy of ideas and ways to, you know, make our product better for our, our user base. Well, in terms of the time stream, it's just going to be whenever you decide to you know, yeah. pull the ripcord and let the community know that you are interested in those offers, they'll flood in because I mean, it's obvious you've got a captive market and 
I mean, it will just become like a little cash machine. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the hope. That's the hope, Jim. Well, I think you, you've got to be very close if you're not there already. So. I think so. I believe that to be true. I think you're right. And do you, you and Molly have the same vision for the future or does one of you want to buy a boat? And <laughs> um, I think we're aligned. I think we're aligned. We're, we're pretty aligned on those things. And so, I mean, I think we're, we're eyes wide open and we're, you know, we're, we're looking at opportunities as they come our way um, together. Absolutely. Like, um, but you know, just being this, the CEO, I, I know that I, even if some opportunity came our way, we took it. I would, I would need to stick around for a while, make sure that, you know, we keep providing the service in the manner that we need to for our user base. But, but I think, yeah, I mean, we've been doing this for a while. We've been doing it for about 10 years and that's a long time. And we're both busy. Like just had a daughter graduate from high school. She's going off to college. So I believe there are seasons to life. Um, and this has been a long season longer than we probably thought it would be. Um, so, but it's still really fun. So I think we're, we're looking for opportunities, but we're not in a hurry because we're having fun. It's actually more fun. You know, it, it was hard in the early days, um, but it's more fun when you're able to hire more people and, um, you know, get to think a bit more strategically. So I am having more fun doing Cheddar Up than I ever have in the past. So well, that's, that's a great place to lining. be in. Guess what I did when my daughter went off to college? What did you do? I'm going to need some advice. I'm taking her in a few couple of weeks. Got pregnant again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. Guess who is not going to do that? <laughs> However, that is phenomenal. Wow. Yes. So That's... we now range from 26 to eight. Oh my goodness. That is impressive. Um... I mean, there's part of me. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty young for having a college graduate, like kind of not terribly, but there's part of me that I'm like, what I'm going to really have to, I have also have a junior in high school, so I'm not an empty nester yet, but it's, it's around the corner and I'm going to have to figure something out. Not, not that, but something. <laughs> not that. Not that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nicole, it's an amazing story. You've done absolutely everything right. And you deserve the accolades and the financial rewards for a brilliant idea. Uh, how do we find out more, follow you online, all of that? Yeah. You know, if you are a group, you are part of a nonprofit and organization, you know, someone who might need to move their payments and forms online or just looking for a better tool, just go to cheddarup.com. You can also download our iOS or Android app, but if you want the full functionality of, um, and power of cheddar up, just go to cheddarup.com. Fantastic. Nicole, great stuff. Congratulations. And we'd love to have you back when you go public. <laughs> Sounds great. That will is you, a deal. Will you promise now to make that announcement here on our show. <laughs> yes, I promise you that. Okay. For sure. All right. And can I go with you to ring the little bell? I don't want to stand close. I, I'll be on the outer forest edge. <laughs> I just want to be in the room when you ring the little bell. Um, sure. You can awesome. be, you can be, you can be in the room. There deal. you go. There you go. <laughs> I don't want to be close. I don't want to steal your glory or anything. I just want to watch <laughs> you do it. Who's going to play you in the movie. 
Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Sandra Bullock. <laughs> now you're making a girl dream. I mean, a movie. Hadn't thought about that one. What about Jennifer, uh, the ditzy one? Um, what show was she on? Hummingbird. Uh, uh, the movie where they killed the little kids. Um, oh, man. You know, the contest, yeah. the uh, um, Hunger Games, Hunger Games. She was oh, Jennifer Lawrence. Gen- Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, yeah, that would be good. I would take that. I think that's yeah. a great, a great plan. 100%. She's sort of a badass, too. I, I, that would totally work. Nicole, congratulations. Great stuff. Thanks. I appreciate it. And thanks for having me on. This is a lot of fun. And we'll be right back. Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a wonderful question, actually, Jim. Oh, my gosh. I love the opportunity to do this. Thank you, Jim. Wow, that's, that's, a, that's a great one. You know, that is a phenomenal question. That's a great question, and, and I don't have a great answer. It, that's a great question. Oh, that is such a loaded question. And that's actually a really good question. School for Startups Radio. We are back, and again, thank you so much for being with us. Very excited to introduce another great entrepreneur and longtime friend of the show. Barry Cohen is with us. He has been I don't, providing guests as one of my publicist friends, my PR friends for what, 10 years now, Barry, is that sound about right? Sounds about right. And is author of a brand new book called 10 ways to get sued by anyone and everyone. He has had a really interesting career. He was in radio in different areas himself and has now worked in public relations for I don't know, about 20 years or something like that. Welcome, Barry. Good to talk to you. Jim, always good to talk to you and your audience. Well, appreciate you being with us. I want to talk about like generic stuff and the book. Let's start off with some generic stuff. What's the the PR landscape world look like right now? I have certain parts of my show that have dried up, like the uh, Fortune 500 guest that want to come out and talk about their newest white paper. That guest is is gone all of a sudden, but other areas are, are picking up. What are you seeing happening in the media landscape space, especially for us entrepreneur type people. Yeah, you know, what I'm saying, Jim, is is it's it's the place for the rising stars right now. It's for the emerging authors and thought leaders. Uh, there's more and more outlets and more and more opportunities for them. Those are the folks that we work with primarily. You know, they're the, they're the ones who are on the way up and uh, the new voices, if you will. All right. Well, that's everyone listening here. So we love to hear that. What about our mix? in terms of our media spending mix is what are your thoughts on changes where we should be spending our money, where we should not be spending our money. What are your thoughts on media mix right now? Yeah. Great, great question. And you know, I'm not as active as I used to be in media buying, but I can still tell you that, uh, you know, 
TV and radio haven't gone away. You know, video did not kill the radio star. Uh, there's still a place for it. Um, and of course, you know, print has gone digital. But, um, you know, the, the, the place not to go is just the latest shiny object. You know, every time a new platform opens up online, everybody rushes to it, but that's not necessarily the right one for your audience. So it's still all about narrow casting. It's still about really, you know, laser-focused targeting of, of your audience. I love that. Narrow. I, that makes me so happy. Oh, oh, always one of my favorite sayings and actualities is that there's riches in the niches. And yes. I have always just found that to be so true and it makes it so much easier. It's so much easier to sell to one group than to everybody. Yeah. You know, that's how we actually started our business. Um, back in 1998, we had worked for years with the local retail and we knew we didn't want to do that anymore. And yet we didn't have a lot of connectivity in fortune 500s. So we looked at the vast middle ground and then we, we niched down, uh, and we served the natural products industry for many years, for about 20 years. We worked with smaller companies, of emerging brands of uh, natural products that were kid-safe, pet-safe, eco-friendly, body-friendly. And what you find was once you get a foothold in there, you know, one leads to another, to another, to another. Very true. Tell us about the book. How did you do, decide to write it? Who was publisher? How did you get it published? Uh, why did sure. you team up with Mitch? He told me that he did most of the work. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, he sourced a lot of the uh, the interviews, and then I did a, a lot of the editing on it. But you know, the reality is that you know this was you know Ten Ways to Get Sued was an extension of my Ten Ways franchise. If you recall, my my first book was Ten Ways to Screw Up an Ad Campaign. The second book was supposed to be. 10 Ways to Bulletproof Your New Business Startup. The publisher I had at the time changed it to Startup Smarts. So I decided to take back the 10 Ways franchise. And, and you know, the premise of the books, the whole series, is all about saving people time, money, and headaches. You know, the old adage, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Uh, you know, the book is not designed to replace legal counsel, but the book, if you, if you get into it, you read it, you take the advice in the book, you'll find you'll, you'll be calling your legal counsel a lot less often. So, you know, I, uh, I knew Mitch for quite some time. We reconnected um, over breakfast, and I kind of threw down the gauntlet to him and asked him if he would co-author the book with me. I said, I need an attorney to work on this with me, and, and he grabbed it. In fact, he said, I didn't think you would, and I said, I'm glad you did. Uh, but again, it's a, it's a simple, easy-to-read to book uh, that's based on a series of interviews that Mitch conducted with various attorneys in different practice areas. So what's in the book? Okay. You know, what's in it for you, the reader, the, the basics of all the minefield that you're going to have to navigate the minute you hang out your shingle, you know, there's somebody lurking around the corner waiting to sue you for something. So whether it's employment practices, liability, whether it's, you know, you know, sexual harassment or, uh, you know, whether it's an unsafe workplace or an accident or whether it's, um, you know, the agreement that you uh, you signed with a vendor, uh, the things that you left out of your uh, employee agreements, the handbook that you didn't supply them with, all those things that you need to know. All right. Can we go through some of them and talk about them individually, some of the 10 ways and let, we should make a game show out of this and see how many of these I've done and gotten. Sued for. <laughs> uh, 
that would be scary. So let's go through some of them and see if we can sure. not get sued that sure. way. Okay, Give me good. one of your favorites. Well, yeah, you know, one of our favorites, both Mitch's and mine, is is not having um, you know written agreements with your um, your partners or your vendors. So the whole premise of the book is that you've got to reduce everything to writing, right? Um, in fact, we even brought in a memory expert because of the fact that, you know, recall, yours is not the same as mine, is not the same as somebody else's. And you can't rely on verbal agreements. It's one of the most important things in the book that everybody needs to know. Reduce every agreement to writing. Oh, entrepreneurs are horrible about that. You know, the whole business plan was on a, a napkin. Why? How do I take that? You know what I mean? That's a a high yes, challenge those, for those, a lot those of Those were the drunken business plans. Those were the ones that, at the bar. Yes. Yes. Right. And I so hate. For, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's what I was going to say. So, uh, you know, for example. You know, if you don't have a proper agreement with your partners and you have a partner that just isn't pulling his or her weight, how do you go back and fix that later? Uh, when we started our business, day number one, everybody signed an agreement that laid out what your responsibilities were and what your compensation was. Well, that's a logical thing to do. But my first business, Barry, we were two or three years in before we discussed who owned how much and what people's titles were. And the only reason the titles came up was we were negotiating uh, with uh, someone to loan us some money and do some other things. And it said, he asked, well, who's the CEO of this business? And without thinking or without really any pause, I said, I am. And my partner looked at me with a WTF because we had never talked about it before. <laughs> Major failure there. Um, that, that just means that you had all the liability on your head. Uh, speaking of liability, one of the other really important areas is liability insurance of various types. You know, you can't insure against everything and insurance won't cure everything, but it is important in reducing your risk. And that's what the book is all about. It's all about risk mitigation. So, you know, the types of insurance that you should have, and again, we consulted an expert on this, you should have general liability insurance in the event that people, you know, were to slip and fall in, in your place of employment. Uh, you should definitely have workers' comp insurance for the people who work for you. Uh, you should definitely have um, employment practices liability if you have people working for you because, you know, next thing you know, somebody's going to sue you for discrimination or sexual harassment. Um, you should definitely have... Um, um, a number of uh, other types of insurance um, <clears throat> that, uh, you know, for example, uh, directors and officers, if you have a board of directors, uh, if somebody on your board makes a, um, for example, inflammatory you know, statement in the press, that could um, torpedo your business. Uh, you should, um, you know, these days now you have to really look at having cyber liability insurance as well, because especially if your business handles sensitive information, if you are an accounting firm, if you're a health insurance provider, uh, if you're a medical practice, if you're a law practice, you have a lot of sensitive information from your clients, and that could be compromised, and insurance will at least help you to reduce the risk if anything happens in 
you do get sued. My wife and I right now are watching the Ashley Madison thing on Netflix and about their data breach. And boy, are those some stupid people uh, who've gotten gotten themselves in that situation. Yeah, but well, that you know, company was basically doing nothing to keep the data secure. It's surprising. Right, and the thing, it's about how you keep it secure, and it's about how you react and respond to the breach. You know, we just got one that a, um, a contractor for Medicare had a breach. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Give me another one from the list of 10. Okay. All right. Uh, navigating the employment law minefield, because again, there are, there are just so many things that can happen when, when people come to work for you and, you know, start by having a handbook that spells out what your policies and your practices are, because you know, invariably somebody's going to say that you fire them because of their race, because of their ethnicity, because of their gender or their gender identity. And you know, if you if you didn't properly document their non-performance or their underperformance, then you're going to wind up with a lawsuit for sure. Yes. Again, back to everything in writing. Yes. All right. Give me another one. Okay. All right. Um, well, all right, let's say, um, for example, uh, if you did not have proper agreements with your employees in terms of uh, them not soliciting your customers and your clients or disclosing your confidential information to competitors, that's extremely important. You know, somebody can leave, you know, even if it's a simple business, I, I know of an exterminating company, a local exterminating company, and somebody left and right away started soliciting all their clients when he went out on his own. Very important to have that in place. Again, from the beginning, not after the fact, when you first hire them. Right. Do you tell them about that as part of the negotiation for their deal or when the paper hits and they're signing all the other paperwork that first day of work? Well, you should, you should let them know that there is such a policy and, and, you know, present it to them before they start their first day of work. You know, I had a, a previous employer once that, that actually handed me a non-compete after I was already on board. And, and you know, that, that may not hold up in court. No, that doesn't make sense. That's like the post-nuptial agreement. <laughs> exactly. Well, we actually talk about that in the book as well. Uh, I'll, I'll give you one more then. Who is your worst nightmare when it comes to a lawsuit? If you're in business, the answer, your spouse. Or your soon-to-be ex-spouse, you mean? <laughs> exactly. Correct. Yes. Or one of the partners gets divorced. So how do we handle that? What are your thoughts on the spouse issue? Right. So the way it's best handled is to have, if possible, a prenup, and if possible, to have um, a trust of some type set up. And those can be layered. You know, our, our experts in the book talk about how you know you, you can have those two, you know, two things in conjunction with one another. It's really about your only way. Yeah, I got divorced 
And we, I had started the business, uh, maybe two months prior to getting engaged and through the business sort of as parentheses around the marriage. And she never did a bit of work for the marriage ever. I mean, for the, <laughs> that was a funny, <laughs> never did a bit of work for the business. As a matter of fact, came to one of our sites one day, <clears throat> a site that was very successfully, very happily being run. And I had an employee come up to me and said, if she doesn't leave now, I am. And so we had to ask my wife to leave and go away. And so then when we got divorced, that became a huge part of the, the acrimony and the fight and all of the issues. And she ended up demanding future profits of any business that may, you know, all of the sillinesses. And so, uh, boy, that can be hard, Barry. Yes. Well, what people need to understand is that even if, as you said, the spouse who's not involved in the business, you know, is, is not working in the business, will, you know, invariably try to make a claim on the business. But, you know, even if you didn't start the business, you know, prior to the marriage, right? You started the business during the marriage, either which way, at the very least, they can make a claim in most states on the increased value of the business during the marriage. So even if you had that business prior to the marriage and it had X value, if that value increased during the course of the marriage, then the spouse is likely to make a claim on the increase in value. Yes. Boy, money and marriage are things are hard. Right. Yeah, but a couple of the other things that we we talk about is at the end the bonus chapters are what to do if you are sued, even though we've given you all the things to avoid lawsuits. And then beyond that, alternative dispute resolution. You know, when possible to try not to go to court, to try to either use you know mediation or arbitration. Yes, I think that's great advice. I actually Barry had a really interesting lawyer situation about five years ago, a thing came up out of the blue and my first response was, well, to call dad and talk to him and then to call the lawyer and the lawyer said, we'll come over. Oh my God. You know, this is, oh my God. And I could just see the dollar signs just rolling through his eyeballs like a, uh, like a. Bugs Bunny movie or something like that, or the Acme blow up guy with the road runner. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow morning at nine. And I was just thinking, what are we going to do? You know, there's, we haven't been sued yet. Nothing's happened yet. We don't know what's going to happen. And so I was like, I canceled. And I was like, no, I'll wait. And I ended up, never hiring a lawyer for that situation and eventually ended up dealing with it and it went away and I spent not one cent. And I had a friend who just a year or so ago had a similar situation. He has already spent $500,000 and he is still at what I would call the beginning ball. Does that make any sense? Yeah, so true. You know, so many things can be worked out. Uh, you know, for example, we talk about, you know, debts and collections. 
um, there's a company I know that's in the title insurance business, and they just had a rough patch in their business. And you know, they didn't hide from their creditors. They they just came out and they told everybody, "Listen, you know, we're having a rough time here." Work with us, negotiate with us, give us some time, we'll get everybody paid. And they did. They got everybody paid, and they actually had a party and invited everybody afterwards just to say thank you for, for their patience and for staying with them. Wow. I didn't take it that far, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, but the best agreement is the one that you can work out yourself. Yes. And I have been in debt. I have had a company where we weren't able to pay the bills. And the best thing that we did was answer the phone and actually talk to our creditors. And when they called, we talked to them and told them the truth. And that made a huge difference. You know, it is. So they quit calling once we talked to them once. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We have time for maybe one more from the book. Give me one more, please. Okay. Let me think of a good one for you. Uh, all right. Um, okay. All right. Let's let's say in in this case, then um, look at. What happens if you don't have a well-thought-out business plan? Even though that might not itself cause a lawsuit, by failing to have a good plan in place, you may wander into areas that will result in a lawsuit. So, you know, a, a written business plan agreed to by all the owners or partners is, is essential. Well, I think let's take it a step further. We all have these LLCs that we either do ourselves or uh, spend money for a lawyer to do. They cease to protect us after one year if we don't update the paperwork in the binder. You know, true, true, and and if you're not a sole person LLC, you must have at least one annual meeting with your other members and document that. Yes. And that can be over drinks and stuff at, you know, the local bar, but it does have to be, you know, a sheet of paper has to accompany that. Right. There should be minutes. There should be an agenda. Yep. Barry, how did you get the book published? Uh, who published it? Was it a challenge? Talk to me a little bit about the actual parts of the book. Okay. All right, well, we currently have a joint venture with a publisher in New York, right? Between my company, AdLab Media, and Brick Tower Press, who's a small independent publisher in New York. And uh, Brick Tower actually bought out uh, all the assets, all the contracts of my previous publishing partner out of Key West, Florida. So we formed a joint venture, and we publish under Mentor Business Books. That's our imprint. That's a good name. I like that. So no, no challenge there. Yes. Very smart. All right, Barry, we're out of time. How do we get a copy of the book? Find out more, hire you at ad lab, all of that, please. Okay, sure. All right. So <clears throat> the book is available on all major bookseller websites. 
Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you know, you name it, you can find it on all of them. Again, it's 10 ways to get sued by anyone and everyone, the small business owner's guide to staying out of court. Um, and see, my current website for publishing is publishingmentors.com, right? And my contact, you can use publicist740 at gmail.com. And phone number is area code 973-580-3534. So publishing uh, mentors, are you all looking for books? Is this an imprint that should excite us? There's a possible place for us to call home for our new books? Yes. um, Publishing mentors is... You know, it's basically the site that that houses all the authors that we have worked with. Uh, you know, because I work with them as as either their ghostwriter, their editor, their publicist, or their publisher. <clears throat> uh, our original site, AdLabCreative.com, still exists, right? But that was really covering all the services that we did as an agency, and I decided to break out the publishing by itself. Right. So would this allow us to get a book published faster than the two-year process that the big houses take? Yes, yes. If, um, if, if, if the book is in good condition when it goes to the publisher, we've been turning things around in a couple of months. Okay. So many of the business books that are coming out are so old the second they're published. Interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. But no, we, uh, we we turn things out pretty quickly. The only time we had delays really was during the pandemic. Barry, thank you so much for being with us and your longtime support of the show. And I hope the book sells well for you. Thank you very much, Jim. Always a pleasure. For me as well. We're out of time, but back tomorrow. Be safe, everyone. Go make a million dollars. Bye now.